Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Praise God. So thankful for the sweet Holy Ghost today. Praise God. Again, so glad that you could be with us this morning, and we just want you to sit back and just allow the Lord to touch you today through the, through the power of the Word. And we're going to continue our, our study, and we're going to do some review from last week, and then we'll continue on with uh, what we finished speaking with last week. Um, last week we talked about the apparent importance of the two special trees that are mentioned for us uh, in the book of Genesis there in the garden and they were right there placed within the very center of the garden and uh, even for us in our lives we place the things that are most important the things that are most valuable to us right in the center of our life uh, if you ever want to know what somebody really uh, enjoys just listen to them for a while because they're going to talk about it that thing which you hold in the center of your heart you're going to talk about it. And so you can tell what a person likes to do. I like fishing. And you can tell about that because I try to put that in every conversation, I think. But I enjoy fishing. It's one of the things that I enjoy, and I don't mind talking about it. But you can learn a lot about people and what their likes and dislikes are just by listening to the conversation. And so these two trees were placed in the center of the garden. Uh, and that, again, that tells us the importance that God placed upon those two trees. And that point itself, that the fact that they were in the center of the garden holds a great significance for the account of how Adam and Eve managed to fall into this state of sinfulness. Um, we mentioned that they made probably made frequent trips to that uh, tree of life. And because of the proximity, the close proximity of the other tree, the forbidden tree to that place, they were able to actually see that tree and it became kind of a an ordinary thing a commonplace thing so that they didn't even really think about it that much and uh, they continued this until a special event occurred and as they were visiting this tree of life one day they noticed that something was going on over by that tree that was forbidden to them there was something a commotion taking place over there and it caught their attention and so they out of a sense of duty made their way over to that forbidden tree that tree of knowledge of good and evil and there they found a serpent the serpent was over there mulling around this tree and as they approached it the serpent struck up a conversation with them and we talked about the name of the serpent, that it meant that the name was Nakash, and it's from the word Nakash, and it means one who whispers a magic spell, an enchanter, and one who is highly observant. But this enchanting, this hypnotic, this uh, mesmerizing creature just happened to also be the most subtle, the Bible says, of all the creatures created, the most subtle. And 
being subtle, this creature had the ability to be cunning or clever in a devious sort of way. It's one who understands how to plot and to scheme in order to achieve a particular goal. This was the very, creati- the very creature that Adam and Eve were up against as they uh, struck up this conversation on that ill-fated day that would end up changing everything for everyone. And so, as we talked about that, we entered into this conversation that could have taken place. This is just me filling in the gaps, and this is me providing you my viewpoint of what I think might have happened. Um, It's not gospel, so don't write it down as that. Okay, it's it's just me thinking. But I do think it helps to fill in some gaps, and it helps to get a clearer picture, a more rounded understanding of what they were up against and how this whole thing went down. So we're going to continue on with that this morning. And uh, to start this off, uh, last week I I said I don't really believe that what's recorded for us uh, in uh, in the Scripture is the full account of what actually took place. It's kind of a Reader's Digest, extremely condensed version of what happened. And that's, that's a lot of times what's uh, given to us in the Scripture. It's not the whole story. It gives us enough. Sometimes it just gives us enough to make us kind of curious to get in there and dig around a little bit and see what we can come up with with the amount of information that's given us. And so that's kind of how it, it, it attracted me because... As I read that story, I said, there's got to be more to this. And so we put some things together. And so this conversation, this exchange that happened here at this tree of life between uh, Adam and Eve and and the serpent, I don't think that this whole conversation started out with the way it's presented to us in the Scripture because in the Scripture it starts off with the serpent saying, Oh, hey, didn't God say that you guys couldn't eat from the tree of the garden? That you couldn't eat from every tree that, you know? I don't really think that that this subtle creature, I don't think that was his big play, his master plan, was just to blurt out what his intentions were at the very beginning. He's more subtle than that, more creative than that. And so I think there were some things that happened prior to that particular part of the equation being shared I think that as Adam and Eve had approached this tree uh, that the serpent kind of downplayed the whole thing they approached it and he pretended that he didn't even see them he pretended that he didn't even know they were there when that was a lie because they uh, he was there because they were there he was there with a plan And his plan was directed at Adam and Eve. And so he knew exactly what he was doing. But he tries to downplay it. He tries to pretend that that's not it at all. And so part of the the, uh, dialogue between them might have have, uh, started off as Adam and Eve approached this tree, the serpent pretending to be startled, looking up, as they approach, he's, oh, sorry, you know, I, I didn't see you there. I, I have to admit that I was completely captivated by this tree. 
by this magnificent tree. But then I guess that the two of you must already notice how very different this tree is from all the others that are around it. There's something different about this tree than all the other trees. So, and he directs his focus now upon Eve. He draws her into this conversation and he says, So, tell me, Eve, is that why you've come over here too? To get a chance to admire it, did, did it draw you to it like it has drawn me to it, the reason that I'm here? And as a side note, uh, I want to point out that by the serpent addressing Eve instead of Adam, he's emphasizing the point in a sort of subtle way that Eve is Adam's equal. And as such, he can engage her in conversation without the need to involve her husband. And it's true that Eve was on equal standing with Adam when it came to their personal relationship. They were on equal standing. But this exchange wasn't being based upon their personal relationship. This exchange that was happening involved their roles in the act of stewardship. And in that setting, Adam was the one who should have been addressed, not Eve. He recognized the supreme authority of, of things was given to Adam. And so Adam should have been the one that he addressed his dialogue to very, at the very first. So, in essence, the serpent, by refusing to involve Adam in the conversation, he is refusing to recognize Adam's authority over him. He says, Adam, you don't even count. I don't recognize you as being greater than me. And I don't have to listen to you. I can do what I want to do. Where have we heard that before? So he was slamming Adam, dissing him in a roundabout way, in a kind of subtle way. He didn't come out and just punch him in the face, but that's, that's pretty much what he was doing. He's trying to take him down. And the serpent had already figured out that between the two humans, Adam and Eve, Eve would be more easily swayed by his plan of attack than Adam. We have an adversary that knows us pretty good. He'll mess around with us until he figures out where our weak points are. He will study us. He will have some demon on our trail finding our weaknesses, discovering where it is that we're most vulnerable. And he will plan an attack based on that. And the serpent had been around long enough and had watched them long enough that he knew who was the easier target. You know, the Bible says that the, uh, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you know who they always go after? Any predator? They don't go after the strongest. They're looking for an easy meal. And when we get to situations in our life when we become weakened, 
we become the easy meal. It's very seldom that the devil is going to hit you head on when you are on top of the, on top of the mountain. When you've got everything clicking, you know, you're, you're, all, you're just clicking on all eight cylinders, buddy. You are purring along, and things are great, and you are in contact with God, and the power of God is real in your life, and you're, you're praying, you're, you're studying, you're doing everything you're supposed to do. It's a rare thing that the devil's going to just, you know, really, really try to target you. Doesn't mean he won't mess with you. He's, he's still going to mess with you because you're messing with his plans. But when he's really serious about taking you down, it's going to be when you're weak. Because when you're the most vulnerable. And this serpent has found his target in Eve. He sees her as being the more vulnerable of the two. And what he's wanting to do is provide a plan that presents him with the greatest chance of success. And in order to do that, he has to target the right audience. So then the serpent simply waited for Eve's response about why she had come to the tree. And she spoke up and she replied, actually the only reason that my husband and I have come over here is that we noticed you walking around this tree. And it appeared to us as though you were taking quite an interest in this tree for some reason that was unknown to us. We don't understand why you're here. It's odd because we've been here so many times and we've never seen you at that tree. Why are you choosing now to visit that tree? So we came over here from visiting the tree of life that's, you know, just back over there in order to find out what exactly it is that you were doing here. I mean, after all, you do know that we are the caretakers of the garden and God's overseers of all the creatures who roam about these grounds. Now, Eve is kind of pushing the fact that we got some authority here. It's our job as overseers. In other words, we got the power over you. It's our jobs to come over here and check out what's going on because we've got the authority. So she's kind of, you know, letting him know we've got some authority here and we're here because we're taking care of business. It's not a social visit. It's business. The serpent jumped in here with a response to Eve's statement. Oh, you must forgive me. It just seems that in the midst of my infatuation with this tree, I completely forgot about your being caretakers. But now that you mention it, why, it makes perfect sense to me. Now I, I understand better about why you're here. It, it makes sense. And while we're on the subject, that just made me think about something else that's related to your being caretakers of the garden. Now that you brought it up. And it's something that has really been bothering me about your whole caretaker position thing. Now, didn't God tell you that you couldn't enjoy the fruit of every tree in this garden? And Eve quickly jumps in. What? No. We can eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. 
Well, all that is except for the fruit of this tree right here in the midst of the garden. The serpent hurries back on the attack. Okay, okay. But doesn't that restriction seem just a bit unfair on the part of God? I mean, the two of you work ceaselessly for God, carrying out his orders to maintain all of this garden. Then God goes and withholds access to you for a few measly pieces of fruit from one of these trees. It isn't like you're going to eat all of it, right? I'm just saying that him denying you access to the fruit of your labors, that just seems wrong to me. Once again, Eve speaks up to respond to the serpent's statement. Well, you must not know that God has a good reason for telling us to leave the fruit of this tree alone. Obviously, you don't understand the whole story. You don't have the whole picture. You see, God told us that we must not eat the fruit that this tree bears, and neither are we to put forth our hand and touch the fruit, because God warned us that if we did so, these actions would cause us to die. The serpent had been listening very intently to Eve's explanation, and he'd even nodded his head thoughtfully on occasion and acted surprised by some of what she had said. And once more, the serpent jumped in to counter Eve's argument. Um, about what you just said. I mean, about touching the fruit of this tree or eating it. I'm not so sure about all of that. Eve gets a little defensive. I don't understand what exactly do you mean. Well, the serpent replied, think about this for a minute. Do you honestly believe that the great creator who made us and made this garden especially for you would take that kind of a chance? By that I mean, as much as God clearly loves you, do you really think that he would deliberately put something that deadly and dangerous right out there in the open? No parent would do that. Look at this. He didn't make it hard to get to. He didn't hide it way off in some corner of the garden. He didn't put a trench all the way around it to keep you out. I mean, honestly, he hasn't done anything at all to keep you away from it except just to tell you, don't, don't touch it. Just leave it alone. Eve had been listening to this very intently, and the serpent could tell by her expressions that she was beginning to soften up to his argument. So he continued... So then, isn't it obvious that the reason that God has placed this tree off-limits to you isn't really connected to any potential danger that might befall you? Surely there's something else entirely going on here, and I think that we should consider just what that might be. I, for one, think that I may have come up with the real reason behind what God is doing here. I think that God is purposely keeping something from you and trying to hide it by scaring you with the whole poison fruit story. And while he's talking, Eve began moving up closer to where the serpent was talking. I actually believe that the real purpose is something very big and extremely powerful. 
I believe that your eating the fruit of this tree is related to you evolving into a much more highly intelligent form of life. I mean, think about it. This is the tree of knowledge. It isn't the tree of death. Look, what I'm getting at here is this. When the day comes that you decide to become the caretakers of the entire garden and eat from the fruit of this tree, something powerful will happen to you. And it won't be you dying. Uh -uh. Your eyes, a fountain of knowledge, shall be opened up to you. And the results will be that you shall attain the status of becoming gods yourselves. Then you'll have the power to create what you want and what you desire to create, all because you will have your capacity to know expanded. And with that statement, the serpent threw open the door to a train of thought which had been foreign to Adam and Eve. Could God really be holding out on them? What if eating the fruit would merely expand their capacity for knowledge to such a degree that they would indeed be elevated to the status of gods? They had to admit that everything the serpent said seemed perfectly logical. It sure explained a lot about why God had placed them over everything he'd created. Their knowledge had an unlimited capacity to expand. Evidently, this tree simply sped up the process. Instead of it taking so long, maybe it wouldn't take them nearly as long if they ate this tree, this fruit from this tree that gave them more knowledge. We've got to remember, as all this is taking place, these two people were in a state of innocence. They'd never been lied to. They'd never had anybody try to be shady with them. They'd never had anybody try to pull the wool over their eyes. They'd never experienced anything like this. As far as they knew, he's telling them the truth. They don't know any different. You know, it's possible. It is possible that, you know, this makes perfect sense. Now that Eve's thinking had been redirected, she began to really take notice of this tree of knowledge. She saw that the tree had fruit which was desirable for food. And it was beautiful. It appealed to the eye. And it was a tree to be desired because of its ability to dramatically increase one's knowledge. It had a lot going for it. And then almost as though Eve had gone into a trance-like state, she stretched out her hand and she grasped hold of a piece of the fruit from the forbidden tree. Maybe she waited to see what would happen. I think she probably did. She just slowly reached up, took a hold of the piece of fruit and just held it there just to see if anything is going to happen. She waited for a while. There was no lightning in the sky. There was no thunder. 
The ground didn't shake. The sun didn't go behind the clouds. Absolutely nothing happened. So she's a little bit emboldened by this. She didn't feel sick. She didn't need to see the doctor. Felt pretty good. She didn't die instantly. And so this turn of events causes Eve, as she's holding on to that fruit, to twist it and pop it free from the tree. Maybe that's what it takes. Just taking off the tree. So she again, she, she waits to see if anything's going to happen. Again, nothing happens. Nothing happens. And she's really beginning to believe, well, maybe this really is the truth because I should be dead by now. But nothing's happened. I think he may be just telling us the truth. This may actually be the truth. Eve, again, having no response, does the unthinkable. She had, she had never felt such excitement in her life. There was something that was swelling inside of her just from having done this, taken the fruit, taking it loose from the tree. She was looking at it, and there was something that happened inside that was just unbelievable. How many of you remember when your parents would tell you that you shouldn't be doing something? If you disobeyed them, didn't it make you feel kind of giddy that you thought you were pulling something over? that you thought you were getting away with something, it, it was kind of intoxicating. It was an exhilarating feeling. And I think she was feeling that. She was doing something that she'd been told she shouldn't do, but she was getting away with it. And that was, a, that was an experience she had never had before. That was something she had never, never experienced. She was being disobedient, and she was getting away with it. Things were changing already, and she hadn't even eaten the fruit yet. She was powerful. She was alive. She was in command of her own destiny. And truth be known, she really wanted to be more than she was. She wanted to be this goddess that the devil, this serpent, the devil working through the serpent, had told her she could be. So in one quick motion, Eve brought that luscious-looking piece of fruit to her welcoming lips. And in that same motion, her mouth opened, the fruit entered, and her teeth did what they were made to do. It was the best-tasting fruit she had ever placed in her mouth. The fruit of rebellion. The fruit of disobedience. It tastes good when you first bite it. It's enjoyable when you first partake of it. But let me promise you, it's all downhill from there. It doesn't last that long. And poor Eve's about to find that out. 
She couldn't quit eating this piece of fruit. Again, nothing happened to her that she could tell, although she was already changing. She just couldn't see it. And disobedience is like that to us. It's so subtle and so sly, you don't even see yourself changing when you partake of it. You don't think you've changed. You don't think you're any different than you ever were. Let me tell you, you change the instant your mind is made up to do that. You've already changed yourself. You've already started yourself on a downward slope, and you don't even realize it. So here she is. She's already taken that fruit. She's eaten a piece of it. And again, like I said, nothing happened to her. It seemed like, even though there were things happening to her. And in this state of excitement, it washed over her like a soothing warmth that comforted her, and yet, and yet it left her breathless with excitement and anticipation. She couldn't wait for what was coming. She just knew she was going to be brilliant. She just knew her knowledge. Her mind was just going to explode with all this knowledge. And in the midst of her excitement, she said, Oh my gosh, Adam, Adam has to experience this like me. I can't leave him out on this. He's got to feel this. I can't even explain it to him. I have to let him feel it for himself. She has to bring him into the picture. Oh, Adam, you can't believe what I'm feeling right now. So incredible, so wonderful. Come, you must try this for yourself. And only then did she notice that Adam's mouth was opened wide as were his eyes. He's in total shock. He cannot believe this. God has specifically told him, when you eat this fruit, you're going to die. She ate the fruit. She wasn't dead. Had God lied to them? Again, they had never experienced lies. They didn't know what it was. How would, how would that be? I, I can't remember back when I heard my first lie and believed it. But I guarantee you it's a shocker when, it, when you understand, even as a little kid, you lied to me. You told me something that wasn't true. And kids, in their innocence, they believe whatever you tell them. They really do. Now, they may not obey it, but they believe it. And when it first dawns on them that you tell them something that's not true, it's crushing. And I think in that moment, Adam was crushed because he had trusted God. And here God was withholding something from God was telling them things that weren't true. I think it, it just devastated Adam. He couldn't believe this was happening. So he says, yeah, I'll get in on this. Eve walks over, gives him the piece of fruit, and he eats the fruit. See, Adam, you can see for yourself that the serpent was right. We're not dead. We're not dead. We don't know when the event took place. But we are told that at some point after Adam had partaken of the fruit, their eyes were opened. 
Had they been blind before? No, it's not talking about physical eyesight. Their eyes were opened. What, it, what it's implying to us here is that once that occurred, their knowledge expanded. They saw things they had never seen before, but it doesn't mean it was good things that they were now seeing. They were looking at things differently. They were looking at God differently. They didn't see him in the same light that they had seen him. Now to them, God's a liar. They don't know that they can trust God. They don't know that they can believe God. Their knowledge is changing. The way they view is changing. I don't know that it happened instantly. I think it probably was a process that once it started, it started slowly, but then it began gaining momentum, just like a snowball going down a hill. It starts kind of small, insignificant, but buddy, by the time it gets close to the bottom of the hill, it's a, it's a mass. And all of this stuff is beginning to flood into their minds. Something compelling did happen to the man and the woman. We know that neither one of them died directly as a result of having eaten the fruit. It didn't kill them. So we've got to wonder if their physical death was actually what God had meant when he told Adam that he would die from eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Was God talking about a literal death? If he did, he was lying because they didn't die physically when they ate it. Obviously, the fruit wasn't poisonous because the fruit didn't kill them. So what more could it have been that God referred to about the fruit of the tree when he had warned Adam of the consequences? And I believe that God was telling Adam that if he disobeyed him in this matter that the man who God had created Adam to be would die, would cease to exist. God had created Adam and Eve in innocence. Guess what? They lost that. They're not innocent now. What happens when we sin? It changes everything. We're not innocent anymore. We can't walk around feeling that freedom and that liberty that we used to feel. It changes. That person dies. And you become a totally different person. We can see that happen in children. We can see it take place in their innocence. But when something happens and they sin and they realize that they've done wrong, it changes them. They realize they're not innocent anymore. It changes them. It changed 
Adam and Eve into being creatures that they were not created to be. The spirit and the soul of Adam would be changed until he would no longer resemble that man that God had created. Now the body was going to look exactly the same. And that's a situation because it's not a physical problem. It's a spiritual problem and you can't see our spirit. It's the inner man that changes. Now you may eventually see it showing up on the outer man by things you start doing, things you start saying, and these other events, but as far as your appearance, you're pretty much the same. But it's that inner man that suffers. It's that inner man that's transformed. It's that inner man that's changed. I believe that's because the body is mainly just the vehicle that God gave man by which he can express himself. And I'm just going to throw this in here. You know, that's, what, that's why we are so vital to the devil. Because the devil doesn't have creative power like God does. He would like you to believe that he does, but he doesn't. Did you know that demons cannot reproduce? They don't have the capacity to reproduce. God gave man the capacity to reproduce, but not... not. There's a limited number of demons. There's a limited number of devils. There's a limited number of angels. It's because they don't reproduce. Satan has no way to reproduce himself unless he can use us. That's why we're a target to him. Because he can express himself through us. We become his kids. You are of your father, the devil. Did it not say that? Jesus said that. You become the offspring, the means of the devil expressing himself. That's why we're targets. And if he can take over our lives, he begins expressing himself through us. It's that inner man inside of us, that spiritual man that's on the inside of us. That's who makes us who we are. It's that part of us who thinks and experiences emotional changes and feelings of all sorts. It's that part of us where our character is housed, where our approach to life and living is generated. It's what makes us unique in a world filled with other human beings. What you can't see. That's the real you. That's what's going to live on because that is eternal. Our soul is eternal. It's going to live on forever somewhere. And that's a part that we can't see unless it's manifested through these bodies. That's why it's so important for the inner man to be controlled by the power of God. 
we can find out who we are by how we react and respond, by, again, by what we say, by what we do, by what we think. And it shows up in this body of flesh. When we go to a funeral and we view a body or a corpse that's laying in a casket, that's not, that's not that person. That's the shell that they lived in. That person, the real person, the, who they really are, is, is alive somewhere. The body, all it is, it's just for show. It's, what, it's what's used to express us to one another. And if we can allow God to take over the inner man, then it begins to be Him able to be expressed through these bodies. Which is what we were designed to be. And they lost it for us in the beginning. They lost it. We're going to quit there. But thank God it wasn't lost forever. Thank God. Thank God. And I just want us to end today giving God thanks that even though we messed up in the beginning, He didn't leave it that way. Let's pray.